0: In today's Bite sized episode, we're joined again by Rosie Barnett, Principal at Dell Inventures. If you missed last week's episode where we chatted about Rosie's journey into VC, then please don't forget to check it out. Today, Rosie will tell us a bit more about her transition from operator to investor, including the most challenging parts and what skills and resources helped her navigate that journey. But that's enough from me. Here is Rosie with a bite-sized dose of mentorship. I hope you enjoy it. Why do you think this is such a popular move for operators having done it yourself?
1: More operators than ever, I think, are realising they can bring their experiences and sometimes battle scars to bear to support a whole host of teams and founders instead of just working with one or a very small group. I think it comes down to impact, really, if that's what drives you and sort of where you find that impact, which can be within one company. But I think it's just increasingly common now that we all have portfolio careers and develop over time and I think it's in a way if you think about it it's quite a natural progression once you've got a bit of experience you've worked maybe for for five to ten years in a startup and you've seen that growth journey and been part of raising money from VCs it's quite natural that you built up a skill set actually which then can be really supportive from inside a fund and perhaps as we've said before, you know, adds that different side of the perspective, which I think founders really value as well. So it seems quite natural to me, but that's possibly just because I've done
0: it. <laughs> it's really good advice. I mean, obviously, you have made the move from an operator to an investor. And we know a lot of other operators will make the move from an operator to maybe a, a platform role or an operating partner role. Do you think between the two of those, like, do you have any advice to anyone that's kind of wrestling with those two different options? Because probably some people that are much better suited to going down their platform route than the investing one.
1: I really am excited about in our industry as well, because I think this is emerging as a much more of a, an opportunity on the sort of platform side where before I think the investor group just sort of tried to hash out that function and it's really being defined as something very discreet and separate now, which I think is really valuable for, for founders. I think ultimately going down the investor route, you need to be interested in the actual mechanics of the investment itself, which sounds obvious, but you know you need to be interested and motivated by you know the process of actually negotiating the deal, looking at the valuation, trying to figure out what the trajectory of that business is from a financial and margin perspective, as well as market entry and and growth, you know, in other elements of the company. So I think you need to be really interested in those dynamics and wanting your career to consist of operational expertise and support, but as well as, you know, a lot of the financials and yeah, more sort of numerical side of the job, I suppose. And the operating partner platform route is where you can really start to build experience in and bring your skills to bear much more focused around the sort of HR and people and helping founders solve core challenges in the companies um, that you work with, you are going to be less close to the sort of deal making and the financial side. I think in terms of who suits which, that's a case of, I think, going through this exercise of trying to decouple your experience from the job titles you've had and really define what are the activities that you think you're good at and the activities that you have some evidence of success in to date. And also, where do you want to learn? Because I think if you're an operator, you can have a bit of a jack of all trades, scrappy role that kind of comprises a few different areas. If you want to move into venture, I think you have to be really intentional about specifically what do you bring to the table and specifically why for that fund. And part of that is can you show that you are really suited to going more down the investor deal hunting route? Or would you be better placed in a role where you're going to be? operational and dealing much more with the people challenges um, that
0: companies face that is really fantastic advice i think we've seen deliberate is a perfect word there about and really intentional about the direction of travel you decide you're not the right person for the investing route the great thing is as you said there is a lot more investment in the platform side now, and there's also a lot more opportunity in different types of roles, whether it's a specific people in talent role, whether it's a focus more on go-to-market and partnerships. We've seen that emerging. We've also seen sort of more traditional operating partners whether being parachuted into companies, perhaps in a fractional or interim role. There's so much there now, and that didn't seem to really exist a few years back. So I'm sure your advice there is going to be really useful for anyone considering that. How are founders benefiting from there being many more operators now moving into VC. And can you give uh, our listeners some examples of where your background as an operator has helped you as an investor or your portfolio?
1: I think ultimately founders want to work with investors who can understand what they're going through at a basic level. It is easier to do this if you have founded or been part of a growing, growing a company. And being part of teams where you yourself have also heard no uh, many times from lots of venture investors, should I say, taking on constructive feedback from a lot of venture investors helps you, I think, just to be really committed in giving that valuable and considered feedback to teams that you don't invest in. And I think I always try to remember how this feels from the other side of the table. And I think that's something which naturally, you are able to be empathic in that way if you've had that experience yourself. And then secondly, you are a real hands-on support for for the founders you work with, and particularly in, in my sort of role and my sort of fund. For example, I worked extensively with a founder in our portfolio recently on their US market entry strategy. This is an area I've had experience in in two of the startups that I've worked with and consulted for for two others as well. And I think it does help when you understand where there might be an additional challenge or complexity, which is quite easy to blind spot if you're just looking at things as a paper exercise and you haven't been through this kind of process firsthand before. Obviously, you learn this over time as an investor with pattern recognition and You know, I'm hoping I really fine tune those skills over the next few years. But I do think that operators transitioning can provide pretty specific input and hopefully value early on based on their their previous
0: career. Thank you, Razi. What do you think are the biggest transferable skills for operators moving into VC where might there be some gaps for anyone listening that wants to do some learning and development and work on it before they make that move
1: i was certainly very conscious of the gaps so i'll start with the transferable skills to be to be more positive
0: i think working
1: in you know as an operator in startups and building companies you have to be super scrappy you have to be great at multitasking you have to be able to get up every day in the face of constant challenges and things changing and shifting and you are ultimately probably someone who's pretty action-oriented. Also, a slightly less tangible skill is that you, having been part of a growing company and an early-stage startup, I think you really understand the qual as well as well as the quant, if I can say. So you understand that all businesses are people businesses and that you know leading or being part of teams and startups does teach you this very, very directly. So yes, you need to look at progress, milestones, figures, financials, every day but you also need to think about keeping your team happy and attracting talent and that's where sort of partners like you James come in really really handy but I do think being an operator you can have some of that experience anyway firsthand and also just this like every day is a school day mindset because things are just constantly shifting and I think in terms of the gaps so you know it's quite hard to give blanket advice there because I think it really comes back to understanding what your skills are what your experience means in the wider market and not just relevant to the businesses that you've been a part of so you know you do need to be very literate with making pretty solid judgments that you can stand to from vast amounts of varied data and that's really heavily assisted by the numbers and the quant skills and I think if you've not kind of had that formal training you'll need to sort of have a think about how you how you cover that gap and become really confident with that another element is comfort dealing with founders or, or teams or leadership teams who might be far older and more experienced and definitely much smarter than you and sort of having the, I suppose, the humility to learn and listen from them, but also being able to work with them and, and help them with their, their challenges too. And then I suppose the final couple of things would be you will likely have much less structure than you've ever had before in a VC fund. I mean, even coming from a startup, I think you need to be really, really good with your time management and understanding where to prioritize. The feedback loops are really, really long. I mean, if you come from say, you know, a large corporate where you have lots of training, you have monthly reviews or quarterly reviews and 360s, it will be a very different life. And it's great because I think more of that structure is coming across now, but you just need to be prepared that you will be expected to be quite autonomous uh, from from day one, sometimes be faced with quite a lot of doubt that you're not going to get a return from an investment you make in early stage investing in potentially five, 10 plus years. It is a bit of a mindset shift in that sense.
0: That's not going to be for everyone. And that's okay. Operators make this move and then realize that they really miss the kind of hands-on nature and the pace of startup world. But I think there's a lot of people that will benefit from this experience regardless, even if it isn't for the longer term because i think it will again even if you're going to found a business in the future or be a part of a startup team to have the experience on the other side of the fence is probably very valuable but as we said earlier it's not for everyone and we get so many people asking us how do i make the move into VC?" and this is one of the reasons we really wanted to record this because i think your experience and your advice is so helpful and i hope will help people make the right decision because i think there's a lot of glamour just as there are with startups but not everyone is best suited to it so thank you for- for being so candid. Let's just say there are people listening to this like, no, I'm really set. I'm an operator. I'm going to go into VC. So what advice do you have for them actually making that move? And what are some of the do's and don'ts that people should be aware of? Firstly,
1: as an operator, particularly if you are in a startup or you have been part of a startup, you do have a really great advantage in your network just of other startups, potentially your former investors, you will likely know some VCs. It might be a bit of a LinkedIn troll to kind of find who they are, or you will definitely have friends who know VCs. And I think this is a unique kind of, it is an advantage that operators have who've operated in startup world, so to speak. So first and foremost, do a bit of a scour of your network and try and find people who you could have a chat with. Secondly, I think you need to go where the VCs are. And as we both know, they like to congregate at events. However these can be super expensive and also are quite hard to find out, out about and get tickets to if you're lucky enough to know some VCs or people who are still working you know in startups and you have access to events that might be specific to your industry then absolutely go for it i do also think the best ones are the smaller sort of more specific ones where people actually have time to chat so these huge events that cost a lot people are running around they've got loads of meetings they have their own agendas so for example for me that there was an event i went to it's called the biocapital network it's a group of about 50 vcs and and founders in biotech it's free and for that it would just be a case of figuring out who runs it and then just getting in touch with them. I know for sure the guy that runs that would be happy to have, you know, aspiring VCs. And in fact, I met a couple at the event. So that sort of informal setting where you can really have a meaningful conversation, I think is worth, you know, a hundred cold reach outs, although you you might need to do that as well. But I think, yeah, just trying to find out before who you'd want to have these spontaneous chats with. Also, you can learn a lot before you even meet someone. So trying to learn as much as you can from your own research. If you're an operator, you're used to working in a startup, you're already going to understand, you know, how to get things done with limited resources and limited access. So I think if you do have a call or a coffee with somebody who you think might be helpful, really do your homework, you know, research and understand, look at their content that they might produce online, like read their articles, have a look at their Twitter. You know, I'm not saying become a total stalker, but it does help because you learn what makes them tick, what they're interested in. And you can ask them questions which really make them remember you and and help you to have a really good conversation that goes beyond the surface level sort of transactional stuff. And I think I probably had, you know, I made lots and lots of mistakes in this process, but I probably had two or three of those which went really well. And they're still great connections and mentors today. And I think that's something which you can't underestimate the value of that sort of investment of your time. And then probably finally, I'd say everybody's super busy. VCs love in particular to say they're really busy and often travel quite a bit. So are going to be time poor. You know, Whilst it's amazing to have face-to-face time and coffees and and dinners and things, I think being prepared to just also have a call is probably a really good idea because you can just have much wider access to people that way and to people that maybe don't live in uh, the city or the country you live in as well.
0: Love that advice, Rosie. Thank you so much. Final question on this section is around the resources that you found useful when making that transition. So are there any particular resources anyone going through this process should be seeking out?
1: Yeah, well, of course, first and foremost, 40 Minute Mentor uh, content and podcasts. Yeah, there were lots of episodes with really amazing uh, VCs like uh, Layla from Kindred that I learned so much from. There's so much free content out there, like there's, and it's such high quality now. And I think, Showing that you can take the initiative to find the right podcasts, articles, blogs that are relevant, not just to VC, but specifically to your industry. And I think taking the time to find those really high quality resources, absorbing the content and also going a step further, I think I started keeping a note um, on my phone and on my computer. So every time I would listen to a podcast or read an article, I would just jot down two or three key quotes and takeaways and just review that from time to time. And I think it really helps you to start being a lot more literate and articulate about the sectors that you're interested in, as well as keeping on top of the trends. And so some specific recommendations, but these are kind of quite VC and healthcare related. There's a podcast called Acquired by Ben Gilbert and David Rosenthal, and that runs through long form Super deep dive, really high quality um, assessments of public and private companies and their stories. So like really getting to understand the history of Sony, for example, those two guys are amazing angel investors as well. So it's just really interesting learning how they research and talk about companies. Specific healthcare ones. There's a recent addition to my listening called Big Picture Medicine, which is just really great informal sort of quite youthful conversations about companies and trends within healthcare and medicine and then also the sort of vc ones so there's one called invest like the best which is a great name and also just covers interesting deals trends in the sector and then this week in startups is another one which is is vc specific so i love podcasts as you can tell (laughs) yeah there's so much online and i think from a blog perspective there is one that i'm going to actually mention by name it's um by Pietro, who was a venture partner at Stride VC, although he's actually now transitioned back into building. So that's an interesting example of the the reverse from operator transitioning to VC. And his blog is breakinto.vc. That is so comprehensive. And it, that was my starting point, actually, in terms of, you know, where do you even start with learning and demystifying, you know, how to how to talk the talk um, and really understand, you know, how to even plan to get in. We've spoken a bit about networking, but I think you can do a lot of that remotely. So you can find VCs that work for firms you aspire to be part of, follow them on socials, you know, read their tweets, look at their LinkedIn posts. There's a lot of newsletters out there and it it is quite challenging sometimes to find the ones that, you know, really deliver value and help you to speak the sort of VC language of your sector that you might already be working in. But I think it's really, really valuable just to take the time to sign up to loads and loads and loads. I think I signed up to about 50 and then I whittled it down to about 10 that I actually read. And so I think for me, you know, it's things like Out of Pocket by Nikhil Krishnan, which covers lots of US healthcare trends. From a VC and deal-making perspective, there's one called Exec Sum by Liquidity, which actually started as an Instagram meme account, but it provides really interesting and varied deal coverage, both in my sector and more broadly. And then the last thing would be, as we've spoken about, filling in your skills gaps. Really, VCs don't really have the time to teach you the foundational skills. So whatever you can do using free resources or if you want to pay for courses to fill in any gaps that you think you might have. So for example, there's a website called Wall Street Prep, which... Has loads of free financial and analysis kind of skills tutorials. YouTube is really good for that. You can get eighty to ninety percent off on some of the sort of online learning courses like Udemy. But it's just being a bit entrepreneurial about it and really t- taking the time to sort of find the resources that are helpful to you. Just helps you to sort of broaden your skills, understand a bit more about how to speak the right language and also learn because you through that process you might realize i don't actually think this sounds like something that i want to do
0: so many brilliant resources and tips in there rosie of course i will be sending this podcast to anyone that asks me about getting into bc well this will be right at the top of the list in terms of actionable advice and mentorship but yeah just incredible free resources there are now that just didn't exist 10 years ago and and that is a real privilege i think everything you said all the different methods you can use to really do this properly shows that you can't half ass it i think you need to go all in on this if it's something you're serious about and as you say you know you get into it and if it doesn't spark joy if it doesn't make you happy if it doesn't kind of excite your kind of get the inner flame going or spark that intellectual curiosity then, then there's no shame in that but uh, i think you've got to really go into it and and look at these different things to really test that i wanted to just move slightly just kind of the next stage of this conversation really is into how somebody can really get into the industry so we started by looking at the resources and thinking about plugging those skills gaps. We're getting lots of people now reach out every day about wanting to convince you, as we've said. Obviously, working with a search firm like us is helpful, of course. I'm not going to say it isn't. I think that the industry has a reputation for being closed off to the outside world. Uh, So you've got to know the right sort of people. So from your own experience, what were some of the steps that you took to get a foot in the door?
1: It is a case of you do have to be quite self-motivated. You know, if you don't know any VCs at all, you can do so much online to get as much information as possible to educate yourself. I think it helps for me, someone like me, I'm quite sort of I like to make a plan. This should just break down this mystical topic into something you can take actionable steps every day and, and within a certain period of time you should be in a position to have a crack at getting the foot in the door. So this should include, as we've talked about, you know, learning as much as you can about your sector. If you're coming in as an operator and you're gonna say that your USP is you can bring clinical and healthcare perspective or fintech perspective into a VC, you really should be able to talk to speak to that and provide value and interesting you know, know about interesting trends in that sector and recent news and articles so that's an that's an obvious one of course in an ideal world you'd be an angel investor with a huge portfolio and you'd have actually made loads of investments um, but that is totally unrealistic for most people so what i think you can do is create what's sort of called like a shadow portfolio almost where you still do all the research you know you look at companies that you're interested in maybe also in different sectors to show that you're sort of more diverse as well have a look at them understand their business model, understand why you think it might be a good investment, you know, have the discipline to actually take the time and try and write an investment memo. There's loads of good articles and guides online of how to do it and what they actually contain. And these are the documents that you sort of present to your investment committee to convince them to you know give you the funds to support that business and sort of track it over time. And, and you'll find that you just get so much better at learning where there is a lot of smoke and mirrors and where there are actually really exciting ideas that have high potential and if you can speak to that in an interview or when you're talking to a VC, it's a huge advantage because it shows you've really taken the initiative. And you know, people shouldn't be discriminated against because they don't have the funds to become an angel investor. And I think that's a really good way around that. And yeah, I think you just need to be really, really specific. So defining really clearly where your strengths are. And again, like I'm, I'm sort of a real big fan of not just quoting your job title, but understanding the sort of three, four top things that that has enabled you to do yeah and then just be really strategic as well as the support of you know amazing recruitment firms but be strategic about who you try to reach track your contact with them track the conversation you know, make some notes after you've spoken to them so you you seem really informed and and sort of on top of things when you speak with people the best approaches that i get now from like cold emails cold linkedin reach outs etc are those where they, well, firstly, they know what the fund is I work for and what we do, um, which you can find on our website, but also a couple of ideas, like maybe from your shadow portfolio or just from research online or investment ideas, which are on thesis for that fund or for that partner or that investor. And then just create like a little summary as well as sending over your CV and like a short kind of summary why you're interested in connecting. Honestly, it would be better to make 10 reach outs like that, which are really tailored, really highly thoughtful rather than just 100 messages where you say, hi, I want to get into VC. Can I have a
0: coffee with you?
1: So yeah, it's just about being a bit more considered, I think.
0: Really good advice. As somebody that's made the move, probably talked to a lot of people that have asked you about how you made the move and hired into Dell Inventors yourself. I know that team's grown since you've been there. What are some of the big watch outs or mistakes you see people making when they're trying to make this transition? I guess one is, as you said, is probably trying to speak to everyone and just being as considered. But what are the just a few little quick tips for people to kind of watch out for?
1: I talk to people who don't really know what they want and I think given that it is such a competitive industry like it or not you need to be really clear and crisp and deliberate about the reasons why you think you be a good fit for that team and that fund or you know another opportunity that you're pursuing and I think you need to be able to tailor that really really specifically so I, being too generic is one of the challenges that that I see secondly I think people don't consider the value and importance of building some relationships with founders if and when you can. And I think you get people often from the larger kind of corporate environments where they've got incredible training um, from the financial side. And they do have done a lot of like market analysis and sort of high level reporting and understanding of a particular sector. But in terms of, you know, tell me about an interesting company or or even a founder that you've met um, from an event or where they've had the opportunity to do those. And Often people are pretty non-specific and clearly you would then be a bit concerned that maybe they'd lack the kind of people side of the business. But really, the biggest one is just the spray and pray where, you know, somebody who's interested in, you know, for example, crypto investing emails me and says, I love what you do at Dell Inventions and I really want to join your team. And I think, you know, I'd love to have a chat with you to understand how you came to that decision to message me and also, you know, learn a bit from you about crypto investing. But let's be realistic. I I don't think we're going to be a fit for you. And, And lastly, I'd just say, You know, there are some really, really incredible multinational, you know, funds that have been around forever and proven success time and time again. And I think It's very romanticised to get jobs at those firms and of course you know if you do then brilliant Um, and that's incredible but I think there are so many other smaller or more specific or sector specific investment teams who can still give you an amazing ground to learn and make really incredible investments and partner with amazing founders and I think it's just not sort of deprioritizing those opportunities in in the face of these huge kind of um, quote unquote sort of famous investors.
0: And that's a wrap for today's bite-sized episode. Rosie shared so much great advice in this one, so I'm sure many of you will benefit from it, particularly if you're looking to make a similar move into VC. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on today's episode, then please do drop us a line on info at jbmc.co.uk. And if you're a disruptive brand looking for ways to boost your brand awareness, and attract the best talent in the startup, scale-up, and VC space, then why not partner with 40 Minute Mental as one of our sponsors? To find out more, please do get in touch with our Head of Marketing, Hannah, on hannah at jbmc.co.uk. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I really hope we'll see you again on Wednesday for more VC Mentorship.